Thanks so much for joining us for the latest episode of Taking the Complex and Making It Simple, the Merlin Wealth Management Educational Podcast. Join us as Michael Merlin, founder of Merlin Wealth Management, and various friends and experts break down complicated financial topics to make them easy to understand. If you'd like more information about Merlin Wealth Management, please visit our website at rcm.rocco.com forward slash Merlin. And with that, here's founder of Merlin Wealth Management and private wealth advisor at Rockefeller Capital Management, Michael Merlin. Welcome uh, MWM clients, uh, colleagues, and friends uh, to our first podcast, uh, an educational series. We hope to uh, do several of these uh, over the course of the next uh, several months to uh, build a resource library for all of you to uh, to go to when uh, you have questions about uh, very relevant financial issues. Uh, today, we're really fortunate to have Amy Nadler uh, with us. Amy is a CPA, and so our subject today is going to be uh, discussing taxes, tax pep- preparation, tax strategies, and best practices. And um, we're really fortunate to have Amy. Amy has been a tax professional in Atlanta for over 18 years. Um, and she's currently a partner at Levy Tax and Consulting. Uh, Amy works mostly with individuals and small businesses, but also has an expertise uh, and experience with trust estates and nonprofit organizations. Uh, she is a native Atlantan. Um, we've known each other since we were teenagers um, and uh, is a graduate of the University of Georgia with a BA in economics, um, but then uh, got wise to her dad's advice and uh, went into uh, the wonderful field of accounting. She has a master's in taxation from Georgia State University. Uh, Amy ha- Amy's married, her husband Doug, and uh, they have two children, Aiden and Hannah. And Amy, when I was reading your um, various bios, um, this, this really stuck out at me. Um, there was a great sentence that said uh, that Amy enjoys working in an area that some people find overwhelming and trying to make it an easy process for them. And it, it, uh, that obviously spoke to me because the the tagline for Merlin Wealth Management is taking the complex and making it simple. So um, we're very aligned in that way. So so an easy lead-in question before we get um, to the meat of everything. Um, How do you do that? How do you you take a situation that a lot of people find mystifying and overwhelming and make it an easier process for them? Um, I would say I I asked them kind of how much do you want to know? Do you want to know a lot? Do you want to know a little? What can what can I tell you? I will give you as much information as you want. And if you want me just to say it's taken care of, you're good, you know, I'll do that. Um, also try to make the process easier for people. And I think just just communicating, um, just just walking them, walking them through things. So you mentioned so you mentioned communication. I think I think that's a really important um element of all this, right? So um, you know, we talk a lot about communication, communication with clients, communication with colleagues, communication with other um, advisors, CPAs, estate planning attorneys, et cetera. Um, let's talk a little bit about communication. Uh, how, how are clients, how, how do you find clients best communicating with you? And what does that look like you know, for those that are, are the most successful or the most comfortable with their tax planning process? I would say the best communication is when somebody contacts us before a transaction. There there are things that we can do or discuss to minimize tax liability. You know, sometimes it's before a transaction, sometimes it's before the end of the year. If if we don't find out about a transaction until we're doing 
your tax return, you know, in March or April, there's just not as much that, that we can do. There's not as there's not as much planning. So I think, you know, we're here all year. We work all year. We do a lot of projections. Yeah. So, you know, if you're thinking of selling something, you know, um, you know, we can advise, you know, when to pay the tax or estimate, you know, when something, what you're going to owe in April. So just, I think, getting ahead of of things rather than kind of being behind. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so the, the way I understand what you're saying is the client who comes in on April 1st with a wheelbarrow full of documents and just says, go. Um, is putting themselves in a disadvantaged position. They're not going to get the best results versus someone who's met with you or at least spoken with you two or three times during the course of the year to talk through things that may be happening that are specific to that year, look through projections, refine projections, so that by the time the extension or the tax return has to be filed, there's no surprises. No. I mean, I think there are some years where it's pretty you know, simple, same as last year, we've already kind of, you know, looked at things. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, every year, but certainly we have clients who do, certainly. I mean, I just, any any planning, um, I, I think, can help. Um, but, even, but even in those years where, you know, where things may be, you know, uneventful, mm -hmm. wouldn't, you would, wouldn't you say that the more communication or the more information you have, the earlier you have it, the better? Well, that's a good point too, because um, well, tax laws change. So, and I think also sometimes things just come up in conversation that maybe you didn't think about in your conversation last year, um, or maybe your cash flow situation is different. So we brought up contributing more to a retirement plan last year, but um, you know that wasn't the right time. So um, you know maybe this year is a different situation. So yeah, I think I mean. The more communication, the better, for sure. And and what what look? I, I mean, I know from working with you in, in several circumstances how much you and your firm do for the client. So a lot of the heavy lifting is done by you. But but what? It, I mean, it's always a two way street, right? That's always the best way for a relationship with a client to work. What can a client do to to help you be prepare the best for their tax their tax season? Yeah, so um, I, I do think it's a two-way street. I mean, we do try to, you know, if, if there are changes to tax laws or there is an opportunity, we certainly do try to present that, um, you know, as much as we can. At the same time, just, you know, just a client sending a quick email, you know, I'm thinking about this, or, you know, can we just do a quick tax projection? Um, you know, I think um, it doesn't have to be, you know, complicated, just, just remembering, you know, to reach out and to say, let's have a quick check-in. Um, sure. You know, I, we're just, we're really big on year-end planning. So, you know, whether it's July or, or, you know, November or December, it just, I think it's important just to, just to check in. We always tell our clients that we want them to think of us no matter what the complexity is of any financial decision that they're trying to make. And it seems like you're saying the same thing, regardless mm -hmm. of whether you think it has a tax implication or not, the best practice is to reach out and advise you of what's happening and because you never know when it could impact your specific year's tax planning. Yeah. I mean, it's not even tax related, but somebody, you know, called me or sent me a question and they were thinking about registering their cars in a different county to, you know, but then we, you know, 
then I was like, well, what about, you know, voting and things like that. So like just things, it's just communication. I mean, just, sure. you never, you never know what, what can come up from, from a conversation. So, so let's, let's, let's pivot a little bit from communication, which again, I think we both agree is, is, is incredibly important to what is being communicated, right? There's obviously information that you need on a regular basis to help clients make the most informed decisions about their tax returns and their tax decisions. And so, you know, what, what kind of records should clients be keeping and how long should they be keeping them for? Well, I think, so if you're looking at a tax plan, you know, if you're, if you're working on a tax projection for one year, I think you really have to think through everything. I think sometimes the default is, you know, it's kind of the same as last year, um, and which very well may be the case, but sometimes like I've had a situation where we have a good plan, but then somebody cashed in a life insurance policy earlier in the year and just didn't mention it. So then the plan is kind of not as good as we thought. Um, so or had, or had income from a job that they had previously and forgot about. Like oh, I don't know. No one would ever do that, that I, that I, that I work with. Um, yeah. um so, <laughs> um, so, you know, when we ask, so I think just, just thinking through that and not just automatically saying same as last year, I mean. And how, and how, and, and how long, like once, you know, once you, once you've compiled all that information and we'll talk about ways to do it in a minute, cause I think that's a really great, uh, uh, piece of advice for clients on how to get information to you or to, to, to their CPA. Um, how long should they be keeping that information after the tax return is filed? So I generally recommend that people, I, I recommend that people keep copies of tax returns as long as they can. Um, it can be digital. It doesn't have to be paper. You don't have to have um, a room in your basement for, for tax returns, but um, I think having those records, but in terms of all the receipts and the tax forms and yeah. and everything like that, um, you really only need that for for three years. So, okay. um, right. right now, you know, in 2021, people can throw out records from 2017 um, okay. and prior, and and probably shred, not throw out, but um, but yeah. So you don't have responsibly to dis responsibly dispose of. Yes. Um, yeah. So you, so you, so you mentioned. Sorry. Go ahead. You, so you don't have to keep all that for for forever. You can minimize your your paperwork. Sure. Sure. So so you mentioned you know you mentioned you could keep the tax returns digitally, um, you know which I think is a great. I know that after a period of time, you know, keeping those big tax uh, tax uh, packages, you know, gets cumbersome. But now we have you know we're, we live in an age of technology, um, and I know uh, uh, that at least in the last several years, we've at least been trying to encourage clients to share their information, both with us and also with their other professionals digitally. And, you know, there's some great tools out there. I know, you know, with, um, you know, with your firm that you guys can set up a collaboration tool. I know we have it here at Rockefeller on the Rockefeller website. There's a collaboration section where we can put sensitive documents um, in an organized way and, and, and invite or admit permission to folks so that they can go ahead and see it. So are you guys recommending that to your clients as, as the better way to um, share information? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're a paperless office. I mean, we try to be, you know, and for us, you know, paper documents, it, it takes us longer 
um, to go through the process because we scan it. So, you know, then we have to go scan it and kind of keep up with everything. So, you know, so we do have a portal. Some people don't mind it, you know, but it just, it's a nice place to exchange um, communication. Um, I think your collaboration tool is a little more robust than than our portal, but but I certainly I certainly like that, and I also like um, that we can we can kind of get the information, um, we can access it ourselves. So like if I have access to somebody's account, I can go pull their 1099, so they don't have to send it to me. I don't have to ask the advisor. The client doesn't have to send it to me. I can just go grab it, you know, sometimes to like, or if I get notification that a K1 is available, you know, I can, I can go kind of, kind of get it myself rather than, than, than asking everyone. So. I think that's, I think that's such a great point. You know, I, I think the ability to, to give third party access to our client CPAs where, you know, it just, and, it, and that access is limited, it, you know, it's limited to documentation. So, yes. uh, which is great, but it, it also, creates a ton of efficiency. And I love what you said in your last sentence, which is that doesn't just have to end with your traditional investments, your brokerage accounts, your bank accounts, et cetera. If you have non-traditional investments, real estate investments, private equity, et cetera, that produces K1s, LLC investments, uh, these days, most of those have portals that you can permission same way for the CPA to be able to go in and pull the tax estimates and the K1s when they're prepared as well. So. Um, I think that's a great that's a great um, a great way for clients to look at it. And that one in particular that I use, they also send um, notices of distribution. So I sure. already know that when there's a gain, and so I already have that information for when we do tax planning. I'm just kind of you know saving it in our files. So amazing um, makes the projections that much that's much more precise because you're already getting estimates or even actual distributions from non-traditional investments, which a lot of times, if you don't have that information, you're waiting till the last minute to see it on a K-1 because those never come on time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think also sometimes it is easier just to, um, you know, just to shoot off an email or just to upload it, you know, to the, to collaboration tool or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, just any, any information, you know, I'm of the opinion more information is 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 better. Doesn't mean I want all your receipts, every single receipt that you have, but but you know, sometimes something that, that a client may not think is relevant, you know, actually is. So um Do you have you guys spent any time talking to clients about the also the safety element of just of doing it through a collaboration tool, the multi-factor identification and whatnot? I, we we obviously talk a lot on our side about cybersecurity. Um, we've sent out several uh, emails to our client base talking about more secure ways to disseminate information, whether that's wiring instructions or other account information to do it through a collaboration tool or through an encrypted email as opposed to just sending it, um, you know, paper, mail, FedEx, or or, or just through a, a non-protected email. Are, are you guys uh, seeing that as well? Absolutely. That, you know, I get email blasts from the IRS and, and they, they talk about how much is, you know, how much, how much identity theft and how much fraud, especially related to the pandemic and things, you know, things like that. So anything that we can do um, to protect our clients' information, um, certainly the, the multi-factor authentication. Um, one of the things that one of the emails that I got the other day was, um, you know, encouraging clients to get IP pins. You know, it's something where, your your tax return can't be electronically filed 
um, without it. I think things like that, any anything that you can do um, to protect, because if if your if your social security number is compromised with the IRS, it's just a pain to get it straightened out. It just yeah. so if there's anything that you can do to um, upfront to prevent that, certainly. I know that I know you've recommended the pin to a lot of our our mutual clients, and I think it's such a great idea. Um, it's it, it's not hard to go get. I mean, you can actually do you know help the client do it, and you know after that's done, it's 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 just another layer of security. You have to keep up with it every year. You get a new sure. one every year, so it's important. Sure. Um, so it's important to keep that that document when you get it from the IRS. But yes, I think it's um it's a back to that back to that two way street, right? Yes. The client yes. has a little responsibility in that case. Yes. So, so I love all the all the all those technology tidbits. Um, you know, the idea that we're not only doing something more securely, more efficiently, but also, um, you know, we're probably saving a forest full of trees. Oh, um, I love that for sure. Yeah. As well, um, let's um, let's move on to uh, I think a a, a meteor part, uh, which is. Uh, talking through ta like best practices when it comes to tax strategies and tax planning, you know I kind of look at tax strategy and tax planning from the lens of what we do, which is it's 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 sort of the core like asset allocation, right? And when we talk about to clients about their asset allocation, we talk about strategic and tactical, right? So there there's sort of core targets for their allocation to cash, fixed income, equities, and uh, non-traditional investments. But then based on conditions, we can tactically shift within those when we see opportunities. And I kind of think of tax strategies in the same way, that there are certain things that people should do all the time, and then there's other things that are maybe tactical based on a certain situation or event that occurs in a particular year or a change in a tax law. Does that make sense? Yep, it does. And there certainly are, you know, kind of my my go-to things that I, that I always look at, you know, particularly with new clients, but also, um, you know, also just kind of ongoing. You know, one of the main things I look at is retirement contributions. Are you maximizing 401k through your employer? Um, you know, are, are you contributing to a traditional IRA? Are you eligible for a Roth IRA? Um, you know, is a backdoor Roth IRA contribution, um, you know, an option for you? Um, you know, we look at withholding um, a lot. You know, it's it, that's not really affecting your your tax liability, although it could be prevent could help in prevent penalties. But um, you know, it also can help with you know with cash flow, whether it's reducing your withholding so you don't have such a big refund or increasing it so you don't have you know this huge tax bill in April, or or just getting it to the level that you want. Some people are okay with owing, some people want to kind of break even. So, you know, having that conversation of what do you want it to be in April and then easily tweaking, you know, withholding to to make that happen. Absolutely. I think that is such an important point. You know, we we love to collaborate with our client CPAs to talk through cash flow planning, uh, especially for our clients that are retired where they're expecting a certain amount of income on a monthly basis. Uh, I don't, I think sometimes it can get missed, the variation in the tax, the taxes that are owed and how that can throw off, you know, really good cash flow management plan. Mm -hmm. So having that baked in and knowing what the client's expectations are, okay, I know that I'm spending X, but I'm going to have another twenty-five dollars or $50,000 of taxes to pay um, is fine. Or they say, you know, look, I want to make sure that it's seamless. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I want us to bake that into our 
monthly cash flow projection. So I think it's really a really it's a really some people think it's nuanced, but I think it's a really important point because it goes to the comfort level of our clients and letting them go out and not worry and live their lives the way they they need to and not say, oh gosh, you know, where am I going to come up with this this twenty thousand dollars for taxes yeah. wasn't in our plan. I think everybody's different. You know, you you kind of you know I I was kind of of the you know, a lot of people say, I don't want to give an interest-free loan to the government. So they don't, you know, they don't want to end up, you know, in, in a large refund position. But I have clients who want that huge refund. They use that to pay their property taxes. And that's yeah. just what works for them, you know. And so I explain, you know, why you would, why you would potentially want to do it different. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's just about educating clients on the options. You know, sometimes people don't necessarily want to adjust their withholding, but maybe they'll make an estimated tax payment during the year. Sure. Something like that. So just, you know, understanding options. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts about, um, I know I mean, through your best practices, and I know this from working with you, you know, talk a little bit about 529 plans. I know that you're a big proponent of those too. Um, I think, I think they're I mean, I, it, it's always so good as your, you know, investment, you know, but I will say that see a lot of people using those um, to to pay for, for either K through 12 um, um, or um, college. And, um, you know, the earlier that you contribute, just see so many, so much earnings in that um, also. So, I mean, I think. I think that you know there is some benefit to contributing to a Georgia plan. It's not terribly significant just because the Georgia tax rate isn't so high. But again, it's just one of those things that I present to clients because some people, you know, if I can save four hundred dollars, I want to save four hundred dollars. So yeah. um, I think just presenting those options. I mean, I think there are again just having having that conversation. You know, I mentioned you know if you don't want to contribute to a Georgia plan, there's you know, you may not like the investments, so there's, you know, other state plans that you can contribute to, you know, again, just, just talking through that. Absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, I know this is a big one, too, that people talk about a lot, and I know you have um, a lot of experience with, is, is you, you, you mentioned withholdings, but alongside that, you know, talk about the opportunities for tax credits that um, folks have, especially here in, in Georgia. Yeah, so um, Georgia film tax credits is something that we, we work with a lot. There are some downsides, but for the most part, I think our clients really like them, especially people who, you know, purchase the credits instead of making estimated tax payments and really like that because they literally are paying their their taxes, you know, their state taxes once at the end of the year. So they have that cash, you know, all year long. So, so people really like that. I think, you know, you have to plan for it. You have to know when to purchase the credits, make sure they're available, but, um, it's definitely something that our clients have um, have have liked, and there are other. I mean, Georgia has a ton of credits. They, you know, they have you know education expense credits and rural hospital credit and low income housing credits. So there really are there there is a lot out there. Um, so just just so that our our listeners understand, the, the what happens with a tax credit is if you owe a thousand dollars in Georgia state tax. You can buy a credit for a thousand dollars, but probably pay less than a thousand. So maybe you pay eight hundred for that credit, and you save that two hundred dollars. That's that's the essence of how it works, right? 
That is how it works with film credits and with other credit, like low income housing credits. Those are the ones I'm most familiar with. Um, not not so with the education credits and the and the um, rural hospital credit, but um, but yes, that is that is one savings opportunity with with film credits, which is why our clients like it. And I think it's also important to point out that not every state has a robust tax credit program. So I know a lot of our clients who live in New York and New Jersey are jealous of the fact that we have these tax credit opportunities because it's not available in every state, correct? Correct. Um, I think if we do have clients in other states, you know, we work with brokers who, who do have clients or, or who do have work with credits in other states. But I think Georgia is unique, um, especially with the film credits. Yeah. While, while we're on the topic of, of credits and deductions, if you will, um, I think something that I know is very important to to us and also to our clients is the concept of charity. And and, and I know that our clients um, don't give charity for the tax benefit for the most part, but obviously it's an, it's an added benefit. Um, talk through some of the best practices when it comes to charity, giving charity and how our clients should be thinking about it. That's a good question. And while I know that most people aren't doing it for the tax benefit, I think it also, it doesn't hurt to maximize the tax benefit. So, you know, one of the things that's been popular, you know, in the in the past couple of years because of changes to um, to the standard deduction, the standard deduction being higher, um, is the timing of charitable contributions. So, or other, you know, another word for that is bunching. So maybe, um, you know, contributing, uh, you know, doubling up on contributions in one year so that you itemize and so that you get that tax deduction and then, you know, foregoing the charitable contribution in the following year. Um, you know, so it's just about, about timing. Um, you know, there certainly are, you know, other strategies such as um, contributing securities uh, or highly appreciated securities um, donor advice funds or something that's really come up in the past couple of years with us, with our clients. Do you see any risk to donor advice funds? Or I, I mean, I, I think they're pretty safe as far as the IRS continuing to honor the deductibility of contributions to donor advice funds. I haven't heard that there's any, um, that there's any area of risk um, in those. Yeah, we, we're, we're huge proponents. And again, even for clients of ours that have the wherewithal to start private foundations, you know, a lot of times the donor advised fund is more efficient. I mean, it is, it is, you know, you don't have that money. It, it is a charitable donation. It is not your money anymore, but you, but you can control the timing um, and the beneficiaries of that. So. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. And then obviously for clients of ours that are over the, over the age where they're taking distributions out of their IRA, Talk a little bit about the QCD and how that can be used. Yeah, the qualified charitable um, distribution is is a great opportunity. Also, um, for somebody who who maybe doesn't itemize, you can give a, um, an amount from your RMD directly to a charity. So you're not getting the charitable contribution deduction, so you don't have to itemize. But your the income that you're paying tax on is lower by the amount that you have contributed to. Um, to a charitable organization. So, so you don't so you don't get a deduction, but you get it, but you don't pay taxes on that part of your required minimum distribution. Right. So it's it's the same tax effect of um of 
if you are if you are making a charitable contribution, but right. um, you know, then you can also take advantage of the full standard deduction. So and, and there's a limit to the amount, correct? To oh. the, the QC the qualified charitable deduction is limited to an amount. Is that is I think that it's a right? hundred thousand dollars per yeah, year. I yes. think I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. Um, so, so why don't we pivot in the last few minutes and talk about tactical opportunities? Um, you had mentioned um, when you were talking about best practices, retirement contributions, which is great advice to make sure that people are maximizing their ability to put money away either on a tax-free or tax-deferred basis. But um, you you also said the words um, backdoor Roth, which is, I know, a tactical um, strategy that you've used effectively for a lot of, of clients. So can you briefly explain what that is? So that is a way for somebody um, whose income is too high to be able to directly contribute to a Roth IRA to, to contribute, but in a two-step process. So you're contributing to a traditional IRA and then con a non-deductible contribution and then converting that to a Roth IRA. So it's a two-step process, but essentially you're, you're contributing to a Roth IRA. But what you have to be really careful of is if you have any funds in a um, in a traditional or SEP IRA, then that strategy can be taxable. So it's really important to make sure that you know that that you have the right situation um, to to be able to do that. Um, you know, but somebody also who maybe has you know a, a relatively small amount in a traditional IRA could convert that, pay the taxes on that, but then have the opportunity to do um, backdoor um, Roth IRA contribution for, for many, many years. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great strategy. Um, so uh, in the last few minutes we have, I thought we'd play a little game um, to demystify some <laughs> of the, I think to demystify some of the, uh, some of the misconceptions, if you will, in tax planning and, 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 and whatnot. So, the first one that I have that I want you to talk about is I should never pay off my mortgage because my mortgage interest is always deductible. It depends. It, um, if if you mortgage interest is an itemized deduction, if the change in the standard deduction and it being higher, a lot of people aren't itemizing when they used to. So if you're not itemizing, then you really aren't getting benefit um, for, from that deduction. So I think it's a, I think tax implications are a consideration, but it really is so much more than that. Um, yeah. And and I think it's also interesting, um, you know, for, for especially for our clients where we have the capability of giving them a line of credit backed by their securities, that that interest is treated differently. So can you um, describe how that interest works? Yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, briefly, you know, that the IRS, um, now, if you if you get a traditional mortgage, um, if the principal balance is over seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, then the deduction can be limited. So, one, if somebody has um, a, a brokerage account with some securities, and you're able to get a line of credit, um, you know, against those securities, then you have another opportunity for for an interest deduction. It's not mortgage interest; it's called investment interest expense, and um, also, you know, you have to be careful. You have to, you know, investment interest expense can only be deducted to the extent of investment interest income. So you have to kind of make sure that you have that in order to be able to deduct the interest. But um, I think it's a good way to 
um, to maximize your overall deduction with the mortgage interest being limited. And, it, it, and also based on the change in the rules with home equity lines, where you know the home equity line interest isn't deductible anymore unless it's specifically used for home renovation, um, the yes. secured line of the the securities based loan can be a good alternative there. Yes. Again, as you said, assuming that someone has in, investment income and investment income defined as interest, dividends, capital, capital gains. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that was number one. Um, the second one was that if I file an extension, I'm going to get audited. That is not accurate. That um, <laughs> we have many clients who file extensions and who are not audited. So I don't think there's, there's, um, I think that is a myth. And same with home offices. Um, I think home office, the home office deduction, um, people are kind of afraid of that because it used to be, you know, a red flag. And I think um, now, you know, if you, if you are calculating it correctly and have a legitimate home office, that is not the the same audit audit risk than it than it used to be. But but definitely um, extensions do not increase your chances of being audited. I would think with the fact that work from home is now part of our daily vernacular, that that the home office deduction should no longer be considered unusual. Well, so that's a good point. We get that asked so much in the past couple of years, but the IRS um, a couple of years ago um, did away, um, eliminated miscellaneous itemized deductions, which home office for employees was part of that. So you, I was hoping that the IRS would kind of, would bring that back, given that so many people yeah. did work from home um, and probably will continue to work from home, but but they didn't. So, yeah. Um, so I had one more myth, but I didn't know if you maybe had some you wanted to make sure we we dispelled before we end. The only other thing that, that I can think of is um, a lot of people, I think it maybe used to be old law, but people sometimes think that if you, if you sell your primary residence that you have to use the proceeds to purchase another um, primary residence to avoid the taxes and, and it's different now. There's a... Um, there's a there's an annual ex, or not annual, but there's an exclusion on the amount of gain that you can. Um, so, so we we get asked that a lot. I think it it was you know an old an old tax law that that is kind of hung around. Interesting. So so you no longer have to purchase another home with the proceeds. You get an exemption up to a certain amount of gain. Correct. Yes. If you. Um, if you're single, you you can exclude up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on the sale of a of a principal residence, five hundred thousand um, for married filing joint. So interesting, and, and you don't have to use those proceeds to buy to buy another house. Wow, I didn't I didn't even I didn't know that. That's oh. that's a that's a good one. Okay. Um, so my last one we may not be able to discuss because I know it's a very new thing. Um, but we've actually gotten this question now a couple of times, and it's not maybe it's not a myth; it's more of a misconception, but or, or maybe just a lack of knowledge. But we've been we've been um, we've gotten the question: um, if I own cryptocurrency, I'm going to have uh, a tax issue. Is there are there specific tax issues around owning cryptocurrency that you guys have run into? So this is definitely becoming um, a bigger issue. I think you know a couple, of, and and I I don't know. A whole lot about it. I can tell you two things. And one, there's a question on the tax return, you know, that says, did you sell or exchange um, 
you know, cryptocurrency during the year. So I don't think owning cryptocurrency, um, there are tax implications, but selling cryptocurrency, um, there is. And that, you know, is treated like, you know, a, another intangible asset and you have to pay gain, pay tax on the gain for, for sales of cryptocurrency. Got but it. I think it's a, it is, there's definitely going to continue to be more on that topic for sure. It is definitely on the IRS's radar. Good to know. Well, Amy, I, I can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. This is great. Um, I always love to end uh, these chats with a quote, and I thought this one was really appropriate. Um, uh, it's a quote from uh, Douglas MacArthur, which says that preparedness is the key to success and victory. And I think that certainly translates into our clients being successful with their tax preparation and their tax strategies. So I um, thank you so much for the time and for the partnership. Uh, we love working together. And thank um, you, my pleasure. Great. And uh, we, uh, we hope this is valuable to our clients. We're gonna do it again soon. So yes. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Taking the Complex and Making It Simple, the Merlin Wealth Management Educational Podcast. For more information on Merlin Wealth Management, please visit our website, at rcm.rocco.com forward slash Merlin. Please stay tuned for an important legal disclaimer. This recording is provided for informational purposes only and is not an offer to buy or sell or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or to participate in any investment strategy and should not be interpreted to constitute a recommendation with respect to any security or investment plan. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the presenters as of the date of this recording may not be current and are subject to change and are general in nature. Rockefeller Capital Management has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Rockefeller Capital Management and may differ from the views and opinions of other departments or divisions of Rockefeller Capital Management and its affiliates. Rockefeller Capital Management is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. The information is not individualized. You should review any planned financial transactions or arrangement that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with your personal professional advisors. Rockefeller Capital Management does not guarantee the accuracy or reliability of the information provided in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. No investment strategy can guarantee profit or protection from loss. Future results may vary substantially from past performance. Investing involves risk, including a risk of loss. This recording may not be copied, reproduced, or distributed in whole or in part for any purpose without prior written consent. Rockefeller Capital Management is the marketing name of Rockefeller Capital Management LP and its affiliates. Merlin Wealth Management is part of Rockefeller Financial LLC, a broker dealer and investment advisor duly registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, member Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Securities Investor Protection Corporation. The registrations and memberships mentioned in no way imply the SEC has endorsed the entities, products, or services discussed herein. Additional information is available upon request.